That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello, Kakupful fans, and welcome to episode two of the 2021 season of Mark Callanan's Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Stat Attack Podcast, presented by JNSoftware.ca, powered by Kevin E. Bear. I'm your host, John Newhold. Thank you for joining us. Normally, I'd say that last week in the Kakupful, half the teams won and the other half lost. But this week, we had a tie. Let's dig in. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the exciting goings-on in Tier 1, as one manager has separated himself from the pack in the quest to become the ultimate fantasy hockey champion. We'll also get into the intense trade market that's developed. Next, we'll spend a short time examining one of the features of the recently announced Kakupful.com website. Then, Marcus has a fascinating interview with Julian, who's not new to fantasy, but is to the Kakupful, so we'll get his fresh perspective. After that, we'll dive into the stat attack deep end with details on players, including naming the fantasy team of the week, and finish off the show with Manager's Corner, where we'll review the fast track leaderboard, the manager of the week, and the matchup of the week. First off, it's our tier one update and the chase for the ultimate prize in fantasy hockey. We're down to just one undefeated team, with Dustin and his team Primo past that 3-0 after what should have been a close matchup against Stream Scheme host Dave Benton turned into a blowout as Dustin got huge performances from Pasternak and solid production from the rest of his team, including $33 waiver wire pickup from the previous week, Yessi Pugliarvi, while Dave's heavy investment in Philadelphia players underperformed during the week. And then on Sunday, when it seemed everyone on Philadelphia was putting up big points, Dave's combination of Voracek, Patrick, and Gossespierre seemed to work hard to avoid getting in on the action, combining for only 5.5 cupful points, while last-minute returnee from injury Couturier picked up 13 and a quarter points, but languished on Dave's bench. This week's highlighted Tier 1 matchup is the self-proclaimed Battle of the Buds between Short Shift's hosts Ben and Lewis. Both at 1-1 one one coming into the week, Lewis got out to a roaring 55 and a quarter to 13.95 point lead on Monday, with all but one of his nine skaters getting at least one goal or assist. A fairly even Tuesday with Josh Anderson's two-goal game for Lewis being matched by Ben's two-goal Christian Dvorak, and a relatively quiet Wednesday saw Lewis going into Thursday with a dominant 50-point lead. But then the comeback was on. On Thursday, Ben dodged a bullet by starting Shesterkin and Vanacek, who combined for 12.3 points, while benching Saros, who gave up 5 goals on 19 shots for a negative 3.35 point performance. A 22-point night from Philip Forsberg and another big night from Dvorak trimmed Lewis's lead to under 20. Then on Friday, performances from Barkov and Pacioretty and fresh pickup Cody Glass blew Lewis out of the water, flipping the matchup to a narrow lead in favor of Ben. But Lewis wasn't done yet. His Pittsburgh combo of Malkin and Gensel finally woke up on Saturday and combined for 15.5 points on a day that would see him retake the lead by almost 15 points. Ben, however, was all in on trying to win. Despite Christian Dvorak putting up 33 cupful points in the prior three games, a big zero on Saturday saw him dump to the waiver wire for Dustin Brown to get one extra game played on Sunday. Although behind by nearly 15 points, Ben had to be confident going into Sunday. He had twice as many games on his schedule compared to Lewis, and Lewis was starting guys like Dylan Strom, while Ben had Barkov, Pacioretty, Hamilton, and a ton of other players all capable of big games. Plus, his ace in the hole, Washington goalie Vitek Vanacek, 
who Ben had streamed in a few weeks previous and had been riding to great success. But the day started off strange for Ben. Vanacek got blown out by the Flyers and wound up with negative four and a half points. Then Mantha got scratched just before his game started. With most of the games going on simultaneously at 3 p.m., the action was frantic. Assists rolled in for Ben from Cody Glass and Pacioretty, a goal from Kempe, one of each from Dougie Hamilton. But little did anyone notice that earlier in the week, Lewis had quietly grabbed Carolina's Jordan Stahl off waivers without any competing bids. And on Sunday, Stahl exploded for one goal and two assists, giving him 12.5 cacupful points on the day and leading Lewis to an 11.55-point victory over Ben for the week. Having relegated his friend to a 1-2 and two record while going to 2-1 and one himself, Lewis said he'd be hard-pressed to describe last week as fun. But... He's pretty proud to have come out on top after the incredible comeback Ben staged after his near-perfect Monday and Tuesday. He's said that in this shortened season, they won't have another opportunity to match up against each other during the regular season, but he feels he'll sleep better playing against other opponents instead of this week's tense matchup against Ben. The most statistically unlikely fact about Tier 1 this week? The good news is, everyone is in the win column with no 0-3 teams in the division. Normally, I would find this statistically unlikely, but I think it's a testament to the high quality of competition among these managers. Next, we're going to highlight one of the trades that happened this week in Tier 1. Those who keep an eye on the Trades channel in the Kakupful Discord will have noticed a trade between Ben and Jordan was announced on Thursday, where Ben agreed to take Buchnevich and $5 of fab for Yamamoto. Our story begins Thursday morning, as a weary Ben Burnett wakes up thinking about how dreadful it's been trying to get a handle on his cacupful team this year. From 12th in points week 1, to 1st last week, and then 13th three days into week 3. But he's not one to sit around and wait for things to improve on their own. He decides then and there that it's time for action, that he needs to be pretty aggressive to improve his team, finding every ounce of value, even in marginal moves. It was time to look for overperformers on his roster who might not be able to keep up their pace. One name stood out among the rest. It called out to him from his Yahoo roster screen. Yamamoto. Is he super talented? Yes. Is he worthy of great deployment? Yes. And Ben was optimistic preseason that he'd stick in that power play one role in Edmonton. But it's just been a revolving door so far this year. It's time for Ben to go out and try to find some value for him. Ben is a Rangers fan and knows Buchnevich has seen action on the top power play recently, and he thinks he's been the best winger not named Panarin on that team. Knowing Jordan is an Oilers fan and that Jordan had already offered a trade earlier in the year for Yamamoto, he decided to start there. Jordan's previous Yamamoto offer was for Hoffman. This time, Ben asked for Buchnevich and some fab. Even though he viewed it as a fairly lateral move, at least Buchnevich's deployment was more to Ben's liking, and the fab is a nice sweetener. Jordan believes in Buchnevich, but since he watches all the Oilers games, he's big on Yamamoto's upside, especially since he plays with Dreisaitl in the Canadian division. Plus, he loves the idea of picking up players that went for more in the draft. Trade away a $3 Buchnevich for an $11 Yamamoto? Yes, sir. They agreed to the deal, and it was posted in the Trades channel on Discord. But there's a twist. Dave, seeing the trade posted in the Tier 1 channel on Discord, immediately sprung into action. He valued Yamamoto very highly, and could offer, in his opinion, much better players in exchange. So he immediately sent a slew of counteroffers to Ben. If you're not up to speed on that feature of the Cupful, 
either manager involved in a trade may cancel said trade within 24 hours of it having been accepted in order to accept another offer from a different manager for the exact same players included in the initial trade. Dave knew convincing Ben, the Rangers fan, that Buchnevich wasn't the right player for him would be hard. In fact, there's probably nothing Dave could say that could sway Ben. He'd need outside intervention. And then he got it. That night, Buchnevich got dropped off the top power play and played three minutes less than his previous season low time on ice. Ben says he doesn't usually react to just one game of data, but also being a Rangers fan, thinks he shouldn't have trusted David Quinn's deployment of Buchnevich in the first place. So while he believes Buchnevich has hit another level this year, his ceiling remains limited if Quinn doesn't see him as a staple on the top power play unit. Meanwhile, Dave had offered Konechny, who showed last year that he could reach the ceiling he'd hoped Buchnevich could. So Ben reached out to Dave and said he'd accept the deal. Yamamoto for Konechny, straight up. Long-term production wasn't the only factor for Ben, though. Locked in his death struggle against Lewis, he knew that swapping deals would mean processing took another day. He'd get an extra day of Yamamoto and a game from Konechny on Sunday. While that part of the deal didn't work out, with the two of them combining for all of one cupful point across their two games, he's hopeful Konechny will outperform Yamamoto and Buchnevich over the long term. Dave understands Konechny could pick things up again with Couturier returning, but feels a lot more comfortable with the consistency of Yamamoto and the much safer schedule of the North Division. Next up is this week's Kakupful.com website highlight. This week we're going to highlight the player stats screen on Kakupful.com. Under the stat attack menu is player stats. This screen contains a chart that can help you understand how players are rostered, as well as analyze their performance down to the individual stat category level. You can scroll through a list of every player on a Kakupful roster, or limit the list by player name or position in the filters at the top. Beside each player, you'll see their position and total cupful points are in this season. Next are percentages, showing that players percent rostered across all cupful divisions. The percent rostered on Yahoo and a column called Delta, which shows you the difference between the two. You can sort by any of these numerical columns using drop-down lists at the top of the chart. So sorting by delta in descending order, for example, tells me that while Jesse Pugliarvi is rostered in every Kakupful division, he's only been picked up in 20% of Yahoo leagues overall. Could he be worth a look in any of your other leagues? The final numerical column is ADP, showing you the average draft position of that player in this year's Kakupful snake drafts. The last component of this chart is a fantastic breakdown of how many Kakupful points this player has tallied this year. A stacked bar graph with different colors representing each stat type, you can see not just how this player performs against his peers, but also where his value this year has originated from. Is this defender all points and no perifs? Is this forward a high volume shooter? Analyze players to see who might be over or underperforming. Make sure to check out cupful.com and attack your stats. On this week's guest interview, Julian is a Habs fan from Gatineau, Quebec and new to the Cupful. He's a huge hockey fan for all his life, who has played fantasy hockey for many years. But this is his first league with peripherals, so he's had to adjust to that difference. Over to you, Mark. This week's guest on the Cacupful Stat Attack podcast is Julien Paquette from Gatineau, Quebec. Julien, you are very welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. 
It's a pleasure. Uh, Julianne, you are the manager of Arctic Donkeys in Fila in tier six of the Kukupful. It is your first season in the Kukupful, so you're very welcome. You're a new player, and I'm delighted to get some insights from you into how you found this season and how you find the league in general. So just as a general introduction, your name is Julianne. You're from Gatineau, as I mentioned. Your team name is the Arctic Donkeys. Uh, it's your first season. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your NHL team, if you have one, and, and things like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm from Gatineau, as you said. It's uh, it's about ten minutes. I live about ten minutes from uh, from downtown Ottawa, so our beautiful nation's capital. Yeah, I grew up uh, I grew up obsessing over hockey. I played basically all my life, and at some points I, I rallied to the the family passion for the Montreal Canadiens, and I ended up cheering for them. Crazy story a bit. Uh, I was trying to be, a, I guess, a contrarian. I, I liked. I grew up really enjoying Paul Korea and the Mighty Ducks, but uh, at some point, Jose Theodore scored a goal, and I saw that on the uh, <laughs> on the replays uh, the in the morning after, and I just like, well, their goalie can score a goal, so yeah, I, I've got no reason not to cheer for this team now. It's always funny how little things like that, um, which yeah. you know happen from from time to time, just seem so incredible and amazing to a child, and it, it kind of steers your whole life. Then it, it can spark a lifelong passion for a team. Um, how have you felt about the Habs so far this season? I know they're playing at the moment. We're recording on Saturday evening. They're playing against uh, Ottawa, in fact. Um, yeah. How, how how have you find, found their start to the season? They've been pretty hot so far. Yeah, they've done well to me. They've they've done surprisingly well. I I've had a kind of a rocky relationship with my fandom of this team since uh, the uh, Shea Weber PK Subban trade. I even <laughs> for a year, about a year, I proclaimed myself a Jets, uh, a Winnipeg <laughs> Jets fan. Uh, yeah, but I still feel this trade has been made with uh, an old mentality of valuing grit over skill and speed. I don't know. I I feel like they they've done individual moves that have worked out really well, like the Domi Kalchenia trade. And I don't feel that I feel like they didn't have a, a structured plan, a clear plan to what they were trying to accomplish, other than accumulating assets uh, in the Pacioretty trade, for example. But yeah, they're proving me wrong big time this year. They're doing really great and they're it's a really fun team to watch yeah and so far this season they've had some outstanding individual performances uh, if we look at fantasy in particular um, mm -hmm. so the likes of Tyler Toffoli um, Petri Anderson Nick Suzuki uh, who's an exciting rookie do you think all of those are sustainable or are there any players maybe who you think might drop off I know Jeff Petri has another goal tonight yeah well I'd say for the most part it's sustainable not Jeff Petrie won't keep going on a hundred points pace. If he if he keeps uh, playing on the top power play, you'll, you'll keep getting points. And if we talk about peripherals, uh, they look pretty similar to what he's been doing in the last few years. His hits are even a bit down, but that might be a product of the team uh, controlling the play a little more. And I really like Nick Suzuki as well. He's he, he took a big step in the bubble last summer and I this what this wasn't just a, a blip or, or anything like that. He and he's got the trust from Claude Julien the coach, which hasn't always been the case for young players in, in Montreal, especially uh, centers. So he's mm -hmm. getting plenty of opportunities to to produce. So I really believe he can keep it going. Suzuki was a guy who I actually targeted um late on in a few of my drafts now I, I was hoping to take him towards the end of each one but somebody seemed to get there just a little bit ahead of me in each case so I kind of regret that now having seen how well he has started can I just I, I ask tried to not to overreact to the bubble and I, I said like 
I, I better avoid him just to mm. not overvalue him. And yeah, I regret it as well. <laughs> Can I just ask you on that? So um, you're a Habs fan. Obviously, they're playing in the Canadian or the North division so far. Have you any insight or any ideas into why that division in particular has been so high scoring? It, it was a talk during the offseason, like, we should maybe value a little bit more players from the North divisions because most of their defensive system is suspicious as be- at, at best. So <laughs> uh, like even for good teams like Toronto and you combine that with eye and talent uh, up front with like Matthews, Peterson, uh, Goudreau and the top six in Winnipeg, it's, it's just a goalie's nightmare, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's very fair. A lot of those teams are are quite top heavy in in terms of having, you know, high paid, high talent forwards, but maybe uh, leaving a little bit to be desired on on the back end. Um, Like the goalies, I feel sorry for the goalies. A lot of them are obviously very talented and and very um, under guarded, let's say, um, in terms of how well they're protected by their decor. Uh, And then you play Ottawa like eight or nine times. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So let's get into your fantasy hockey career so far. I mentioned earlier, it's your first year in the Cupful. How long have you been playing fantasy hockey overall? Uh, I, I've, I've made some, I've always made drafts uh, with uh, friends of my father uh, for, for uh, a playoff pool. But uh, I've been playing season long fantasy hockey more seriously for about seven or eight years now. Okay, and are you into other fantasy sports, or is it solely fantasy hockey? Oh, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, only hockey. I, I enjoy other sports, but not I, I don't know enough about them and the players sure. to to get into fantasy. And in terms of uh, video games, do you play any NHL video games on on consoles or maybe simulators? Yeah, I, I play. Uh, I've got the NHL Twenty One. As uh, it was the uh, the first time in the couple of years that I bought uh, the NHL game because I thought they were well the same from year to year like there was Mm. no major improvements and then they seem to have a couple new things this year that made me want to buy it and I play also Madden and a bit of NBA 2K. Yeah last year actually during the lockdown here in Ireland I I went out and bought a PlayStation 4 back in March last year um, and the only game I had on it was NHL 21 so um, I got pretty into that for a few months and then real life resumed and I haven't played it since probably August or so Um, but I really enjoyed it it had probably been a a lot longer since I last played NHL um, compared to you so first of all you probably beat me anyway so I'm not really good I got really good. I got really, really good. But uh, like there was a couple of months at the start where I just couldn't win a game. Like I was being demolished every time I played somebody online. Um, but I, I was pretty impressed with how well I could pick it up after a couple of months of, of being, a, what would we call me, a whipping boy. Just uh, so if we can move on then just to have a look. So you're obviously quite a big hockey fan in general. You're, you're a Habs fan, but you're a hockey fan. And that comes first and foremost ahead of being a fantasy hockey player, I would say, with you. Or do you consider yourself more of a fantasy hockey player? Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm a hockey fan. I, I've been, uh, hockey has been a passion pretty much since I was born. You know, NHL teams are among the first words I could say if, uh, <laughs> if my parents could have, are to be believed. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a set of uh, hockey cards from, I think, my uncle or something. And they were teaching me all the team's name and some, some players' name as well. So yeah, it's it's been it's been there ever since I was born. That's funny. Hockey cards actually are probably the main reason I ever got into hockey as well. When I uh, went on a family holiday to Calgary in 1998, and there was a store just around the corner from us where I could get like five 
old packs for a dollar and I used to go in every day with like three dollars and I'd go home or back to that place I was staying and open them and I'd know none of the names but I'd just be fascinated by like the points totals on the back of the card or you know funny names or the pictures so yeah. um, funny names I, never the best <laughs> yeah, my, my yeah. favorite growing up was always Yeramir Yager just the way it was spelled I, I thought that was <laughs> just incredible for for French Canadians the double j yeah um, so let's have a look at the Cupful. So, as I mentioned, uh, you joined for the first time this year. How, how have you found it so far? How do you find the league compared to maybe other leagues that you're in? Uh, it's interesting because it's the first time I'm playing in a league that counts peripheral stats. I've never had, I never played before in a league that counts stats like shots and and, and hits. Uh, it was just mostly uh, points Standard. and power play points, game winning goals, and stuff like that. It's it's been really interesting and. It's hard to uh, adjust, but no, I think I'm doing okay so far. Uh, just joining a league with those peripherals that you'd never done before, did you have to kind of tailor your preparation or did you have to change how you prepared for the league? A little bit. Uh, like I had to be more attentive to some some stats that I didn't look before, like players. Uh, trying to think of a name. A player that uh, like Ben Sherratt or Darnell Nurse is pretty valuable in the league like the Kakafel, but in just points league, they, they're they're not even worth a roster spot. So yeah, so there are that kind of th- that small niche subset of players who will get you enough points from the yeah. peripherals alone to be worth rostering, but you ne- wouldn't necessarily have ever known them in in any other type of fantasy league. Yeah, um, I had more that, I had more homeworks to do, but the way that I prepared myself was pretty similar. Yeah, Ben Sherratt and Darnell, Darnell Nurse are good examples. Nurse this season probably has more to his uh, his scoring in terms of um, you know getting on the score sheet. But uh, yeah. Sherratt last season was a good example. He was somebody who I streamed in. And another guy who comes to mind is the likes of, not necessarily this season, but last season, uh, Mark Barowiecki. I found that he was a guy who I went to in a number of leagues to fill in those those uh, peripheral categories. Would you consider yourself a patient manager, Julien, or are you quick to cut your underperforming players? Yeah, I I, I, I qualify myself as a an hyperactive GM. Uh, okay. I'm I, I'm not I'm not necessarily impatient for anything like that, but I like I like to shake things up from time to time. I like to make trades, and that has led to. A few bad decisions in the last few years but you know and and i always look at the free agent uh free agent pool and i always want the, that that shiny new guy that's not on my team and maybe it's a mistake but it's more for me a i overthink things sometimes and i and i try to avoid this guy that could be really good uh i want to prevent it from getting on another guy's team more than i want him on my team that's if that makes any sense but Yes, yes. So you're looking to accrue players to prevent other people from having them rather than for the sake of your team. So actually, a related question that um, Elon actually has has uh, suggested that I ask on this podcast, and I think it's a really good one, is if you, if you were to imagine a, a spectrum of... Um, so say player A is somebody who likes using their moves to improve their team in the long term. And player B is somebody who uses their moves to maximize the number of games they're playing each week. Would you be more towards player A or player B? Which, which of the two do you think is yeah, closest an, to your style? That's an interesting question. I think it's, it depends. Uh, it depends on, on how your, your roster is, uh, is built for me. Uh, if I'm not happy with the bottom of my roster, if I don't like... The players on there, I'll stream as much as possible. If I can find guys on the waiver wire that that I like and that I think could 
could uh, help me on the long term. Uh, I fill those spots and and then I'll, I might uh, be a little more quiet uh, on this front for uh, for a bit of time. But yeah, I, I can I, I do a bit of both. I, I see the value in streaming and I'm and I'm learning that in the kerfuffle how much it can be valuable. You know, if if you you have guys that like I've, I just picked up Jake Muzzin on on the waiver wire and. I think it could be a guy that's really helpful for uh, for the long haul. So very good. So uh, let's have a look at your um, cupful team then. So in the draft, you picked up four players who were center only, um, three goaltenders, only four D men, and you pick up uh, you picked up two Habs. Um, in terms of the two Habs, was that more of a head or a heart decision? And are you happy with those decisions? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm. I gotta say, I'm happy to have any players from from the North Division right now because they seem to be the only ones where the games aren't postponed. Uh, yeah. But but it was it was a head decision, I'd say. Uh, I like I said, I, I've been a bit uh, unsatisfied with the way this team has been run in the last few years. So I I have tend to uh, undervalued them a lot uh, a lot in the last few years, especially since. Uh, most of the guys who I'm playing fantasy with are also Habs fan, and they always overvalue them. So I, I, I let I let them pick uh, I let them pick these players early, and I try to uh, reach uh, take players that are less loan to the guys around me. So yeah, but I, okay. I I felt like the North Division would score a lot, and Tatar and Weber were available at spots where I thought that was pretty reasonable for me to to pick them. So so I took them uh, basically. Very good. Um, so let's go through your draft then. So Brad Marchand, uh, first pick. Uh, so you were eighth in the draft order. Um, then next pick, Dougie Hamilton uh, as your second pick. Had you planned, was that a strategy to take a D-man quite early on or did it just happen that he fell to you and you were happy to take him? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of that. I, I came into this draft uh, with a mindset of trying to basically get the best value over replacement uh, and I had a group of uh, of four D men I had identified that would be a stretch of, above the other guys. If if they all went, uh, they all went before my second pick. Uh, I, I would probably have taken a a forward. I was looking at, uh, at guys so like you were... Gensel, Tavares, uh, Brady Kachuk, and so the, yeah, the so... group of the group of four D men that you were looking at would that have included the likes of Yossi, Carlson, Hedman, and Hamilton? Is that is that who you were looking for? Uh, uh, not Hedman, but I think I had Burns in that in that group okay. for this year. But Hedman is is a pretty good option if you end up having him as a number one defenseman. So if if all of those four guys were were taken, I was looking at a at a forward, but I would have tried to get Hedman in the third or fourth round. Okay, very good. And let's have a look then. So you went after Hamilton, you went Max Pacioretty. Uh, fourth round, you took uh, a, probably a little bit of a risk on Mike Hoffman, depending on when your draft took place. What, had, had he signed for the Blues at that stage? Yeah, we, we, uh, we, uh, the division was added really late. So we, uh, we drafted this Sunday before the season started. So okay. he had signed with the Blues and... Uh, so you, you've actually traded him just this week. Um, yeah. You traded traded him for Connor Garland. Are you happy with that exchange? Obviously, you must be if you accepted the offer. Yeah, it it, it didn't uh, it didn't work out at all at fourth in the fourth round to pick Mike Hoffman. I felt I, I felt the 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 Blues signed him to to be power play specialist basically, and like like the Panthers had used him. So I thought you know he'd get a lot of shots and get some points. But uh, I have, I've accepted the offer 
on Tuesday Tuesday night. I thought about it long and hard, and you know, I was see he was still on the third line playing on power play two, and then I saw compared Garland to him. Garland is on on line one in Arizona and power play one. He's yeah. I felt I felt like Garland's at, at a better floor uh, with all the shots he, he's taking and the opportunity is given. So maybe often as a as a better ceiling, but I don't feel that like that ceiling is significantly better for this year. So yeah, I was happy to take uh, Garland. Yeah, I think Garland is probably one of those guys that Arizona see themselves building a team around for for the next few years. He's um, a talented young player who they're happy to uh, to put first and foremost in their lineup each night. Um, let's keep going there. So Dylan Larkin, you took next of all. Uh, Jordan Bennington was your first goaltender uh, in the sixth round, a 77th pick. Were you planning on taking a goalie that early or how did that work out? I, I, I fell uh, for, the whole, uh, for the whole goalie run, basically. I wanted right. to have a, uh, you know, a number one guy from a, from a good team and all the other guys I had, uh, I had spotted were, were being taken. So Frederick Anderson, Gary Price and all those guys. And then I, I saw Bennington. I was like, oh, you know what? That's the last guy of the group remaining. And again, that, that, that came with my mentality of value over replacement. And it was probably a mistake is, you know, when you got John Gibson that went, I think, in a ninth round or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then your other two goalies who you drafted in the 12th and 15th rounds, neither of those guys remain on your roster at this, at this moment. So you've dropped UC Saros and Cal Peterson. Yeah, I had hopes that they would. Uh, like Saros had a, an incredible year last year, and I think he, I, I thought he would give me some great numbers. But so far, Nashville has been like scoring a lot of goals, but giving a lot of goals as well. It seems like uh, they would feel they would fit just well in the North Division. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's have a look at your eighth round pick, so Oliver Ekman Larson, who has missed a significant amount of time already this season. Um, you would consider him a big loss, I would assume. Of course, he started uh, really well, but that that pick is a funny story. Actually, I was uh, during the draft. I was in a uh, I was in a week away in a cottage with my my girlfriend, and the Wi-Fi was terrible, and I uh, ended up losing connection for uh, when my pick came. And OEL <laughs> was the first guy in my queue list. It was I had a lot of guys there, and it wasn't in any particular order. Just players of the Yahoo the Yahoo list that. I wanted to, uh, you know, not forget about. It, it could have been worse, but yeah, it was. It wasn't necessarily the guy I wanted at this point. I, I was looking actually at uh, Charles McAvoy. Okay, but you're happy that it worked out. It was a happy accident, let's say, apart from the injury. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was worth a pick maybe two rounds later, but you know, he, he's got a good floor with all the uh, peripherals and the shots he takes. So I, I was not too bummed out about uh, this accident. Okay, so if I look at rounds 12 to 18, then um, I know you mentioned earlier that you consider yourself somewhat of a hyperactive manager. Um, only one of your picks from rounds from the seven rounds from round 12 to 18 actually remains on your roster. So uh, that's Kevin Hayes from Philadelphia. Uh, so it, it's quite clear to see that you're, you're obviously a big streamer. You, you were happy enough and quick enough to drop those guys. Uh, let's have a look at some of the guys who you added on waivers then. So you mentioned Jake Muzzin, who you may consider keeping longer term. Uh, you got Vitek Vanacek in, uh, I presume, after Samsonov was was ruled out. Um, yeah. he, he's put up some good points for you since. Oh, yeah. I've been uh, pretty happy to, uh, to hone him since uh, Samsonov was put on the COVID protocol. 
very good. I think he gets the start again tonight. Um, Samsonov still isn't quite back, so uh, yeah. And I can... think it, you you'll challenge him for for more starts when once he came back because Samsonov wasn't playing that well before he got I don't know if we should say injured or sick, but yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that Vanacek will be pushing for a one A one B type situation there in Washington. Let's have a look then. So Tyler Myers is another guy who you picked up. I know um, he probably wouldn't be the flavor of the month with uh, with Habs fans at the moment after injuring Joel Armia. Um, are you you're happy with picking him up? I know I had him myself in a different league, and he's he's kind of replaced nearly Alexander Edler as the peripherals guy in Vancouver. Yeah, and and it's a it's a streaming spot. So just uh, since I picked him up, they've had two uh, two weeks of great schedule. So I haven't pushed him out of my lineup yet, but I don't necessarily intend to uh, to keep him long term. So far, he's just he's getting some points with the with the peripherals, and it's helping a lot a little bit. But it's it's more of a streaming uh, option so far. Yeah, and one other guy who I, I can't ignore at the bottom of your uh, your waivers here is Nikita Kucherov, who you added for a $2 waiver right back at the start of the season. Are you hopeful of him returning, or is that just a shot in the dark? Uh, I'm less and less hopeful. I, I got to admit, I, I, uh, no, I, I'm just, I just figured out this week that he can't really come back because of their, of their salary cap, the cap situation. Yeah. Uh, when I picked him up, I mostly misremembered the, uh, the Patrick Kane loophole, if I should say, from a few years ago. I thought he came back after the uh, the trade deadline, but uh, yes. and, I, and I've looked it up this weekend. He actually returned just for Game One of the playoffs. So, okay, yeah. You know, if, so, uh, if 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 like a Stamkos or any guy on this team that's really you know has a high salary is injured to finish the season, I, I could see him come back. Yeah. So I'll, I'll keep in my RR spot for as long as possible. Yeah, two dollars didn't exactly burn a hole in your pocket. You know, you're you're uh, no. you're not going to miss that two dollars. Hopefully, um, are there any players, Julian, who you had uh, a chance to draft but you missed and maybe regret? Uh, yeah, coming back to my Bennington pick, I I, I was uh, I was eyeing a lot uh, Nick Healers, and he was so far in Yahoo's list. So I was yeah. sort of hoping people would forget about him a little bit uh so if if i didn't take him uh if i didn't take uh, bennington in the sixth round that probably would would have been my choice and then but i thought yeah you know what he, he might still be available in the in the next round and i was in a tough spot being uh, drafting eighth out of 14 i was like in the middle of it and all my picks were pretty far apart from from each other so yeah uh he, he went to like nine picks later, so <laughs> I got burned. Um, and then on the other side, are there any players who you targeted but missed and maybe that you're you're glad that you missed? Uh, well, so far, Anthony Manta. Uh, I mm. don't, uh, I was pretty bummed that the, uh, that he was, uh, and he was picked uh, when he was, I, I thought, I think I had him uh, for the next pick, uh, my next pick after that, but uh, he's not playing on the first line and he's not, getting shots on goal as much in the last uh, few years. Goalies like Frederick Anderson and Carey Price, I, I was looking at them and they're giving up a lot of goals. Uh, even Carey Price, we're, since the Avs are doing fine, we're not talking about it so much, but he has not been really good so far. Do you see so, Jake Allen may, maybe challenging for that? Oh, no, no. The, no. the, the, the Montreal Canadiens will live and die on the Carey Price hill. <laughs> uh, and, and I also had the 
I also thought Capo Caco would uh, could have a a great uh, sophomore season, but uh, I, I I plan on taking a fire on him later in the, the draft. But he's not even on the on the roster right now, so yeah. that doesn't look good. No, um, yeah, you can kind of see the the improvements that Jack Hughes has made this season so far compared to how he did last season. But you're not seeing the same out of Kako, and indeed the New York Rangers in general really haven't really impressed in the in the way that a lot of people thought they would. Let's take a look, Julian, at your season so far. So your your first week in the Cupful was a defeat back in week one, um, but you managed to recover from that with a 15-point win in your second week. Uh, that came despite uh, being heavily outscored on the Sunday night where you, your opponent had Conor McDavid scoring almost 20 points uh, with a yeah. goal and four assists. Uh, did you did you watch the scores live on that Sunday evening? Were you kind of nervy? I, I always look at the scores live uh, until I, I, I go to sleep, but... Uh... You know, it, it's it's funny because it was so close for most of the of the week last week, and I, I wrote to the other GM uh, I think on Thursday or on Friday morning, and just to tell him like at this point I don't really care who wins, uh, as long as it remains close like that, uh, it's it's fun to watch and it's you know keeping me on on the edge of my seat a little bit. And then I had a pretty great night on the Saturday, and uh, I was pretty much too far for him uh, to catch to catch up despite McDavid's best efforts. Yeah, that was quite a performance on a Sunday night. And to, to have a player score that many um, you know, goals and assists and still lose the, the matchup must have been a bit heartbreaking. Having a look at this week, then, we are yeah, we're, you're looking to go 2-1-0 and now. You're beating the team who are currently top of your division. Uh, you've a 20, uh, 20 or 20.5 point lead uh, going into, let's say, Saturday evening here, um, Saturday afternoon, your time. Uh, you are probably quite confident of getting the win there. You, obviously, you don't want to put a jinx on anything, but you must be confident yeah. of a win. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, for for, <laughs> for... <laughs> uh, sorry, if I lose, I'll blame you. Uh, Stat but... attack curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know he, he's got a great team as well, and we were both pretty fortunate that not too many of our players are missing game. I mean, mm-hmm. Brad Marchand is not playing tonight for me. That's that's a bummer. But I I, I don't. I'm not uh, comfortable with the 20 points lead. I think it can fade uh, fade away pretty uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, indeed, and the cupful anything is possible. Um, at this stage, I just want to have a quick uh, a quick fire roster. We're going we're going to call this. So I'm going to give you two options: player A or player B. I'm going to give you six choices, and I want you to give me your pick off the top of your head as quickly as you can. So it's going to be a goalie, two defensemen, and three forwards, and uh, we call that your quick fire roster. Uh, so let's start in goals. Jordan Bennington or John Gibson? I would take John Gibson right now. I, okay. I, I should have drafted him, but he had a, such a bad year last year, and I didn't trust the Ducks. So yeah, uh, I, I, t- I took him. I, I, I took him. I took him in both of my main leagues and the Cupful and another league that I'm in. Um, no regrets there so far. He's he's the kind of goalie who will get you, you know, a minus four or a thirteen. Point night uh, in the Cupful scoring format, anyway. Yeah, um, but it goes again to to me not being uh, used to this kind of a uh, of yes. scoring format, and I mostly play in league where wins are, are wins and starts are, are all that that matters basically. So okay, yeah, uh, I can see then why you would take Binnington over Gibson. He's he's more likely to get wins clearly. Um, okay, let's move on to defense then. Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr? Uh, this year, I'd say Kale McCarr. Uh, but that's pretty close, I guess. They're, they're similar players. 
similar players, yeah, and we're also very close in the in the Calder uh, Trophy running last season. Um, I know Habs fans, or sorry, I know uh, Canucks fans probably weren't too happy with the decision for for McCarr to be named the Calder Trophy winner. Um, let's have a look. Let's move on just to the next defenseman spot then. So two guys who I mentioned earlier, Roman Yossi or John Carlson. Oh, uh, I I think I take uh, Roman Yossi because he's he's taking so many shots and yeah, but that's close again. That's 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 two really cl- close players. Uh, Let's see if the next one is close. I know you have one of these guys on your roster. So Artemi Panarin or Brad Marchand? Uh, well, I don't remember if Panarin was uh, was there in my draft. Uh, so I guess I'll go with uh, with my own guy. I'll, I'll, I'll take Marchand. He's, uh, he's getting decent shots. Obviously, a lot of points as well. He hits a little bit and he blocks shots. He plays on the PK. So yeah. uh, he's already, I think, got three PK points this week, uh, this year. So that's a little, that's a nice bonus. Yeah, himself and Bergeron are just so far ahead of everybody else in terms of shorthanded points um, yeah. and, and uh, power play points as well. Um, I think probably at the start of the season, I would have disagreed with you and said Panarin, but having seen how badly New York have started and now the past knack is back, I think Marchand is is at the that higher level. Um, not yeah, but Panarin... so far you're, you're asking me questions about players that I both like, obviously. like it's, yes. Who's better, Mario Lemire or Wayne Gretzky? What? they're both amazing <laughs> yeah. so yeah well i mean the stats will probably say wayne gretzky but i'm gonna say uh, mario lemieux on that one um, i agree <laughs> good he gets screwed um, by injuries yes injuries and illness yeah. yeah um okay the next one is two guys who we've also talked about already on the show uh connor garland and nick suzuki uh wow um i guess i'll go with uh, garland because he's just a shot generating machine mm-hmm. uh but uh, yeah, that's another close one. Uh, Long term, I, I would take I would take Suzuki. I think he'll 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 be the more productive player in in three to four years. But for for this year, I, I think I'll take Garland. And, and, he, and, la- he's, a, and he's a winger that which are tougher to get. Yes. Okay. And the last one then. This is um, it's two guys that we haven't mentioned. Two guys I know you'll be very familiar with: uh, Mark Shifley and Evgeny Malkin. Uh, with the the. I'm worried about Malkin. I, I thought of buying yes. low earlier this year, and I looked at his stats, and I, I would have to pay a lot to get him. And I'm not that confident he's going to turn it around. He would need a, basically a Crosby injury to, to start going, I guess. But So I'll take Shifley. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you on that one. Um, Malkin, obviously, as a Penguins fan, I, I've seen his... I'm not going to call it a decline just yet, but he's had a, obviously a very poor start to the season. Uh, he did obviously have a, an incredible second half of last season, let's say, or let's say even just last season in general, he was he was incredible for somebody at his at the st- stage of the career that he's at. But Mark Shifley, uh, people say it all the time. It's hard to argue with it. He is just so consistent. He will he'll barely he'll very rarely go more than two or three games without a point and if he does he'll make up for it with two or three in the next he's mr point per game for years and years now um oh I, I, over the I, year I, you know what you're gonna get he's 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 been doing pretty much exactly the same thing for what like six or seven years now yes and he's the kind of player you want in your fantasy team you just put him in you don't need to worry about him uh you just hope that he doesn't get injured which he rarely does i know he, he did in the playoffs last year but yeah, he seems to be just one of those guys you can hang your hat on that he will be there, he will get you points, and you won't need to worry about him. Yeah, that's true. 
So let's have a look then. If you uh, had one piece of advice that you could give to a, a fellow new player in the Cupful, something that you, you've learned in your first three weeks in the league, either something practical or something philosophical, anything at all really, is there anything that you've seen so far that you could offer to a fellow new player? Yeah, well, uh, take advantage of the uh, of all the great advice that you can find on this on the Discord group. Uh, mm. That's been a gold mine of information for me so far, so I, I like it a lot. And uh, if uh, anyone's like me and has joined the Cacuffle prior to have any uh, experience with uh, with peripheral stats, I would say for well for the Cacuffle format anyway, I. Don't underestimate the value of, uh, of shots and block shots. They're, they are very valuable. It's a consistent, uh, consistent stats. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of overvalued hits in the draft. Because, yes. again, it was my first. Uh, most great players uh, who gets a lot of points uh, don't hit that much. Apart from and Ovechkin. Apart from, yeah, Ovechkin and Tom Wilson. Mm. Uh, but other than that, you need to hit a take give a lot of hits to to be valuable and you know mm. that's uh i overvalued that a little bit but that's okay that's some sage sage advice um so my final question for you julian just before you go this is your chance to uh to nail your colors to the mast can you give me one player either somebody who's on your roster or maybe somebody who isn't who you feel might be flying let's say under the radar at this moment and is perhaps undervalued in fantasy hockey terms well, since you're giving me the opportunity, I will preach for my own team, uh, <laughs> if, if you allow me. Uh, yeah. I, I will talk to you about Kevin Hayes, actually. Yes. I, I really like his spot in the Flyers lineup so far. Uh, it's, it's The lines have been changing a little bit in the, in the last week or so, but he, he's, seen, he's seen a lot of power play one minute so far. And the last time he got a good deployment like that was with the Rangers just before he was traded to, to Winnipeg and he was almost on a 70 point pace. Uh, so right now his shot percentage is a little bit, is a little bit high, but uh, uh, everything else seems pretty much right. So I am pretty happy to own him and I wouldn't mind to keeping him until the end of the season. I'm pretty confident he will uh, keep doing so, what he's been doing so far. Yeah, and he's a guy who you picked up in the 16th round. So, you know, a very, very low risk, um, high reward there. Um, he's also a guy who, something that doesn't often come into fantasy hockey conversations, in, in particularly in, in one-year leagues, is the amount of money that he's being paid by Philadelphia. Um, I know it doesn't mean a whole lot, but when somebody's getting paid, I think he, is he getting $7 million a year? I know he's on a, a big uh, contract. Close to that, anyway. yeah, I believe. Uh, but yeah, he's, a, he's got a long-term uh, pretty costly contract so yeah they want to make him work and i think Vigneau likes him a lot so i'm confident i don't know how much of this is sustainable for the next few years but mm. i don't think we talk about it so much i don't i don't recall hearing uh elon and or brian talk about him on the podcast this year so far so uh yeah i, I think he's pretty valuable Perfect. Thanks again, Julian, for coming on to speak to me today. Uh, it's been really enjoyable having you on. Very welcome to the Cook Cupful, and we hope to see more of you in the coming years. All the best with your climb through the ranks. All right. Thank you very much, and it's been fun. Thank you, Mark and Julian, for that insight. Before we get to the player and manager stats this week, a quick minute to shout out some of those that made this podcast possible. A big thanks goes to Kevin E. Bear for his hard work on the statistical views you'll find on Kakupful.com. Check out the About Us page for one of his latest creations, a world map showing the truly global scope of the Kakupful.
Also a shout out to jnsoftware.ca. JN Software is a software and soft skills training and consulting company. It was started 19 years ago by my wife Joy, and since then has grown to have operations across Canada and North America. Make sure to press the free webinars button in the top right corner of jnsoftware.ca. This month's webinar will help you learn the basics of the diagramming tool, Visio, while next month's focuses on note-taking program, OneNote. You can also watch previous webinars on topics like Power BI, communication skills, making accessible documents, and building access databases, and more. If you enjoyed listening to the StatAttack podcast today, I encourage you to check out jnsoftware.ca and see if there's anything we can help your organization with. Now back to the show. Up next is our player's analysis section. First off, we have the team of the week. These are the best fantasy performers from the last seven days. In goal, Andre Vasilevsky with 22.85 kakupful points from three wins and only four goals against. But honorable mention to Jake Allen for getting 20.5 points in one less game. Defenders this week are Jeff Petrie with 35.5 points in four games against Ottawa and Vancouver. Yep, that, that'll certainly help things. And Quinn Hughes, a distant second, with 22.5 points, including a three-assist game against Montreal. At left wing, out of nowhere, Alex DeBrincat with 34.75 points in just three games. Huge shot numbers, four goals and two assists against Carolina and Dallas of all teams, too. At right wing, who else? David Pasternak, 38.5 points, including a three-goal, one-assist game against Philadelphia. And at center, Joe Pavelski, squeaking out a win by a quarter of a point over Austin Matthews with 24.75 points on the back of his two-goal, two-assist game in Columbus, February 2nd. All aboard for a transaction junction. Big-time pickups this week included Jordan Stahl, Joel Farabee, Tim Stutzla, each picked up in 15 or more divisions and only dropped in one or two. Cody Glass wins the Perfect Attendance Award for showing up to all 11 of the teams that claimed him and surviving the week, not getting dropped by any of them, while Jordan Greenway showed up for his shift at In-N-Out Burger, being picked up in 13 divisions while also being dropped in 14 the same week. On this week's episode of the hit fishing show Cutting Bait, it's Tristan Jari with six divisions finally giving up on him and no one picking him up in any division. Make sure to check out the transactions page on kakupful.com under the Stat Attack menu for more information. This week's fab fans are Jesse Pugliarvi, who continues to be the highest paid player in the Kakupful, with the total fab spent on him this year now approaching $250. Meanwhile, Joel Farabee's hat-trick last Sunday has created a second flurry of buying on him, putting him into the lead for the most picked-up player of the year, having been added 43 times now in a cuckupful which only has 23 divisions. Let's see if he'll stick around longer than he did last time on these teams. Now it's time for who's rostered and who's not stirred. Top season-long performers who aren't rostered in all 100% of cuckupful leagues include the now-injured Tyler Mott, Andrew Kopp, and Christian Dvorak. They're all still available in one or two divisions. However, as we learn from the player stats page on kakupful.com, a major portion of the points gained by these players comes from goals, with Dvorak scoring as many goals as Mitch Marner, and Mott as many as John Tavares. How will their production continue over the rest of the year? Keep an eye on kakupful.com to learn more. Overall, 183 players are 100% rostered in the kakupful, while 52 players are unique to just one division. The top performer who's rostered in just one division is Mason Appleton and his 41 cuckupful points. 
But keep an eye on Chicago's Philip Kurashev, who isn't far behind. Can he maintain his good deployment? And will more people bring him on their rosters before the end of the week? All of this data and more can be found on the player stats page on kakupful.com under the stat attack menu. And off we go to manager's corner. The top two in this week's fast track leaderboard remain the same with Dr. Gusev and Robert's neat team having gained the most kakupful points overall across all divisions. However, now just 3.75 points separate them. New entrants to the list are third place's Shazam Boni, Modern Malkin in fourth, and Nicholas's team in fifth. Winner gets automatic promotion to tier one next year, so make sure to squeeze every last point out of your rosters. The Kakupful Performer of the Week is Titanium Cranium of Tier 2 Ottawa. His 268.65 points shot him up into 17th in the fast track standings. He had a big week from Pasternak, Matthews, Connor Garland, and dynamic duo of Ben and Pavelski, the latter of whom he picked up on waivers earlier in the season. He appears to be running a three-goalie strategy, with Fleury and Lehner giving him all of Vegas's games and Frederick Anderson playing most of Toronto's. When Samsonov comes off his IR, he'll have some interesting choices to make, or perhaps will be up for a trade. He's running minimal D with only four playing at a time, and while having four C-only players normally makes filling roster slots difficult, that should be compensated for by having less skaters in general due to the three-goalie strategy. For this week's Statistically Unlikely, let's talk about the top 17 teams in the overall Kakupful Points Fast Track standings. Each of these teams have accumulated over 900 Kakupful Points so far this season, and find themselves at the top of the pack in a league with 322 participants. However, only 7 of these teams are currently 3-0 in their Kakupful divisions. Overall leader Dok Dok Gusev is at 2-1, and, and in fact 17th place Titanium Cranium, who was the performer of the week, sits underwater at 1-2 in his Tier 2 Ottawa division, thanks to missed games from Pasternak, Ben, and Pavelski early in the season. There are 47 3-0 teams overall in the Kakupful, but less than half of the top 17 teams hold that honor. So no matter how good your team is, in any given week, anyone can win. This week's highlighted matchup is again from Tier 5's Melker division. Last week saw two teams in this division separated by just .05 Kakupful points, but this week Traders and Shane's team decided to one-up them by tying. With exactly 205.15 points, Traders saw strong performances from Backstrom, Hoffman, Hamilton, Yossi, Forsberg, and Gallagher, but was let down by a negative value overall performance by Thatcher Demko, and Taylor Hall missing all his games this week due to postponements. Shane's team was led by Patrick Kane with over 30 points, as well as exceptional stats from Trocek, Huberdo, and Jamie Benn. Shesterkin also finally broke out of his slump and put up back-to-back 8-plus point games. Going into Sunday, things look good for Shane's team with 6 games to Traders 2 and only 2.5 points separating them. But hero performances from Nick Backstrom and Dougie Hamilton gave Traders a combined 21 points. Shane's team was able to scrape together 23.5 points to bring the matchup to a tie. But he will rue the unannounced last-minute decision in Philadelphia for Sean Couturier to play Sunday, as his two-goal, one-assist, 13-and-a-quarter kakupful-point performance sat languishing on Shane's team's bench. Any number of minor moves can change a tie into a win, but that one has to hurt for Shane's team. In Movers and Shakers, abundance of pasta of Tier 3 Boris still sits atop the move's leaderboard. 22 moves, 4 more than the next manager. In Big Spenders, this week's Big Spender is Medal of Connor from Tier 3 Boris and the $21 he dropped on Yessi Pugliarvi. 
Still winning the overall title is Hilton Swag Team from Tier 6 Bossy. He hasn't made a move since last week, but with just $12 left after 10 total moves, he's still $8 poorer than second place manager High and Dreisaitl. Come on, Hilton Swag Team. My understanding of economics is that when you're given money, you're supposed to spend it. Gotta keep that fab economy rolling. And that's it for this week's episode. Make sure to check out kakupful.com for more stats on players and teams. We'll be back next Monday to review the goings-on around the league. In the meantime, you can reach out to us on Discord, and we'll see you in week four.